Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. You're out of order! You're out of order! The whole trial is out of order! You have meddled the primal forces of nature! And you will atone! Hey there. I am your mad prophet of the airwaves and welcome to Radio Free Canada news notes and opinions from the underground for Tuesday, May 31st in the year of our Lord 2022. Yesterday I was saying that the left are almost entirely without common sense. They do what feels right, not what works. It's not about outcomes. It's about perceptions and feelings and of course, virtue signaling. And yesterday Another perfect demonstration of that from our morally illiterate, mentally deficient crime minister. Have a listen. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer or import handguns anywhere in Canada. In other words, we're capping the market for handguns. As a further part of this new legislation, we're also fighting gun smuggling and trafficking by increasing maximum criminal penalties and providing more tools for law enforcement to investigate firearm crimes. And we'll require the permanent alteration of long gun magazines so they can never hold more than five rounds. These are actions that doctors, experts, and chiefs of police have been calling for for years, and we're acting on their advice. Doctors. What do doctors have to say about gun ownership? Why should they have any say above and beyond what 
the average voter has to say. Again, doctors overstepping their bounds. Haven't we had enough of that after two years? Ah, you say, but he's not banning handguns. Here, listen to this. Legal gun owners are not being targeted. He said it himself. What would your message be to um, firearms groups that are saying, uh, you know, this handgun ban uh, continues to just uh, target lawful gun owners and, you know, it's you know, similar criticism to other gun legislation saying it's not going to target people that are breaking the law anyways? I think people need to be careful about uh, misinformation and disinformation in this. We've explicitly and specifically not targeted law-abiding firearms owners because uh, those who currently own and uh, operate handguns safely and store them safely are not at all targeted by this legislation. We're simply saying uh, that we are uh, freezing the market and in the future it will not be possible to buy, sell, transfer or import handguns in Canada. There have been too many tragedies. Canadians need to see safer communities and this is uh, a comprehensive, multi-step path towards that. So you're grandfathering it. You are targeting legal gun owners. And this is what I mean by perceptions and feelings and virtue signaling. And it's incredibly cynical, of course, I mean, there's a horrible tragedy in the United States. Actually, I'll use the term avoidable atrocity because it was avoidable. So we have a psychopath from a broken home, goes on a shooting spree, kills 19 innocent children and two teachers. Again, that happened in the United States, not in Canada. But clearly the liberals are piggybacking off this tragedy, introducing this new gun bill, effectively grandfathering the end of all handguns in Canada off the back of an avoidable atrocity. Again, I say avoidable because all of the post-Columbine protocols were ignored. And the local police in Elvalde, Texas, proved to be cowardly imbeciles. The vast majority, over 80% of gun crimes committed in Canada are committed with illegal guns smuggled in from the United States. So what does the crime minister do? He comes down on legal handgun owners in Canada which of course will do nothing to stop gun crimes and shootings. It will likely have the result of making the black market for guns only bigger. So again, zero common sense. It's not intended to really stop gun crime. It's about doing the easy thing that sounds virtuous and looks virtuous. You want to ban handguns? Then law-abiding people won't buy handguns. Criminals are criminals because they disregard the law. They will continue to get handguns. People will continue to do evil things, and laws won't prevent that. Politicians can't stop evil. The more gun-free zones you create, the more soft targets you're creating. You're inviting tragedy. You're inviting avoidable atrocities. Individuals with evil intent love gun-free zones. You make it easy for them to commit evil. If gun laws worked so wonderfully, why is Chicago like the Wild West? And notice how nobody on the left talks about all of the innocent children that are gunned down and murdered in Chicago practically every weekend. Every few months, you have the same carnage as one Rob Elementary School in one city. But nobody talks about that. 
Gun control means law-abiding citizens can't protect themselves from the bad guys. Gun controls have the exact opposite effect. But it's easy. It's an easy thing to do for politicians who have zero common sense and diminished mental capacity. It sounds good, particularly to people without critical thinking skills. And those are the people who vote liberal. People without critical thinking skills. People who only care about feelings and not facts. So the liberals are taking away guns. They're planning on controlling what you see on social media and the internet. They're going to license their approved list of paid and bought and paid for journalists. And now, and now it gets better, folks. Now they want to give Canada Border Service agents the power to search your laptop, your tablet, and your cell phone. All they need is a reasonable general concern of criminality. What does that even mean? A reasonable general concern of criminality. I mean, we've seen how the RCMP has been politicized. We've seen how police services in Ottawa and Calgary and Montreal have been politicized. We just witnessed how our banks quickly, obsequiously, turned on Canadians and froze bank accounts. Of course, now they're apologizing. Now they're apologizing. But they'll do it again if they're told to. So do you really think that it won't happen to Canada Border Services? Do you actually think this law won't be used to target anyone who disagrees with the government? Of course it will. I fully expect if I'm ever allowed to leave the country again and travel, I fully expect that I will end up on a list and my cell phone and laptop will be searched. So we now have in this country the most odious, sinister, authoritarian regime in our history. This is who they are. This is what they are. And it's not going to get better. It's going to get progressively worse, and we are in serious trouble. Oh, it's just handguns. Oh, it's just the internet. Oh, it's just searching your cell phone. If you have nothing to hide, what are you afraid of? You know, I hear that from Canadians more than anyone else. If you have nothing to hide, what are you afraid of? Fine. Let them strip search, strip search you at the airport if you have nothing to hide. Let them tap your phone if you have nothing to hide. Hell, let them install a surveillance camera in your home so they can monitor you 24-7 if you have nothing to hide. Oh, don't be ridiculous, Richard. Nobody's putting a surveillance camera in your home. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens gradually. If I said three years ago they're going to demand to search your cell phone at the airport, these same people would say, oh, that's silly. That's just a conspiracy theory. And yet, here we are. Here we are. Our uh, good friend Mark Petroni, host of the Mark Petroni Show, will be here to raise a little hell towards the latter stages of the second hour to talk about the new gun bill, the conservative motion to end the travel mandate that went down in flames yesterday. I see Pierre Polyev missed that vote. The bill to allow border agents to search your phone. And um, I'm sure he'll have much more to say. I'm going to uh, revisit the avoidable atrocity in Texas with a lifelong educator, Dr. Vermella Green. We'll talk about whether arming teachers can help. I think it's a great idea. It's a no-brainer. We need to turn schools into hard targets. We need to arm, armor. We need to armor our schools. In Canada, too. 
Tracy Wilson from the Coalition for Firearm Rights will be here to talk about the proposed gun bill. Tom Korski from Blacklock's reporter on the proposed bill to allow border custom agents to search your cell phone and laptop. But first... Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. The post-secondary education lending scam. From a best-selling author and a new blue candidate in the upcoming provincial election. He's next. The Richard Sarah off and running for Tuesday, May 31st. Facta non verba. We're back as The Richard Serrett Show continues on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. Why is post-secondary school so expensive? It all stems from something called the bureaucratic agency theory. And uh, Tommy Caldwell is here to tell us more. He's running for uh, the new blue party in the upcoming provincial election in the riding of London North Center. He's... uh, also the owner of three local businesses and a best-selling author. Hey, Tommy, welcome. How are you? I am wonderful, Richard. How are you? Terrific. Thank you. Uh, I wrapped up my post-secondary uh, career, uh, such as it was back in the, um, the early 90s. So how much more expensive is college and universities uh, since, since that time? Well, there's quite a bit of, of variance, uh, but... For instance, for a, for a bachelor's degree, when you control for inflation that's happened over the past 30 years, you're looking at a degree that's about two and a half times more expensive than it would have been earlier for just a bachelor's. Uh, and that's where it begins. If you look at uh, specialty schools like professional schools, medical, dental, law, if you look in the early 90s, you were going to spend about $1,500 to $2,000 per year for medical school, dental, uh, dental school, or law school across the board. Now you're going to pay, you know, $23 to $25 grand per year for medical school. You're going to pay $50,000 per year uh, for dental school. So it depends which degree you want to look at, but the scale is somewhere between two and a half times to you know, 30 times that cost, depending on what type of degree you're after. All right. So what what's changed since the early 90s that made post-secondary so expensive? So there's a few there's a few parts that are involved in uh, in, in where we find ourselves today. So in 1990, uh, the OSAP program got taken over by the Ministry of Training, Colleges and Universities Act. And that's when we start to guarantee a system of lending and repayment. So if a, if a student takes out a loan, if they cannot repay it, the government is going to cover the cost of the loan and the interest. 
So alongside this, as lending increases under these circumstances, universities begin to increase tuition rates. Uh, see this in the historical charts. It's completely side by side. As this piece of OSAP ramps up, you can see that the cost of university grows exponentially over the same period of time. And while this is happening, we still have government money pouring into these institutions, billions of dollars federally, billions of dollars provincially. And there's also the issue of little transparency with where these funds actually go within the universities. And you, know, you talk about agency theory, and that's exactly what's happening. There's no skin in the game. So universities are becoming these big, bloated bureaucratic systems, these big, massive machines that more money has to be funneled into every single year in order to keep these machines running. But the actual production as far as what students get out of the deal has not changed at all. And now students are just getting saddled with these ridiculous amounts of debt that only exist in the form they do today because universities saw this lending program as an opportunity to increase cost. And as they increased the cost, they just started spending irresponsibly. And the worst part of it is it is almost impossible to know exactly where that money goes, not just the revenue that the university gets from tuition from students, but also the money that is contributed to these universities in addition, both federally and provincially. So bureaucratic agency theory, uh, give me a definition. How, what, what is it? So when someone else is playing with money that is not their own, the consequences are clearly different of the results of that spending or money management than if it was someone using their own funds. So agency theory is the concept that when someone is spending someone else's money, when someone is allocating someone else's money, so like government or uh, other government related institutions, whether that's healthcare or education, is spending taxpayer money, there is very little incentive to spend responsibly, especially whether it's uh, people who are running hospitals, people who are running educational institutions, people who are running the Ontario government, they're not missing a paycheck and they're going to get their raises every year. And it doesn't matter what they blunder with the funds, they're going to be okay. So there's no real requirement for responsibility, for fiscal responsibility when any loss in money or any misallocation or any sort of irresponsible spending does not affect your personal bottom line. There you go. Bureaucratic agency theory. We, we learned something. Uh, so quickly, Tommy, how do we get post-secondary costs under control? Well, this is the difficult part because this is a runaway train that has been going on for 30 years and we can freeze tuition and as of right now, there's not much more that we can do about that because we've allowed these systems to grow so large. We've allowed these universities to grow so big and suck in so much money that in order to reverse course and start bringing down tuition in a significant way may cause these universities to collapse, let's be honest. So there's not too much that can be done about the cost of tuition right now, but this needs to be a learning moment for people because this is something that 
that should have been observed and that people should have seen coming for decades. And we've just, uh, we do what we always do. We just allow these bureaucratic institutions to grow and grow and grow. We give them more money and then they need to find places to stuff that money. And it's always the taxpayer. It is the patient. It is the student who foots the bill for all this at the end of the day. So we need right now to enforce transparency in spending. Where does this money come from? Where does this money go to down to the dollar? And transparency in spending, whether it's, whether it's the government at large or whether it's in our healthcare institutions or our educational institutions, this is not a common practice. So for instance, we have university presidents who are receiving up to $50,000 a year for speech writing. Uh, in the past, allowing university presidents to have full-time employees who we are paying $90,000 a year to help coach them with their public appearances and giving speeches. And when you just give these big institutions full reign of their budget, where they don't have to be held accountable, and where the money comes from and where the money goes to and that type of spending is very vague and not publicly available, you don't discourage this type of spending that is clearly ridiculous when you can identify it, but it's very difficult to identify the specifics of the spending right, because yeah, these are not transparent systems. You're right. We need transparency, no question. And I'm I'm totally fine with some of these institutions collapsing, especially the ones that coerced students <laughs> into getting a vaccine, even if they were studying virtually. They deserve to fail. Uh, Tommy Caldwell, <laughs> running for uh, the uh, London North Center for the uh, New Blue Party in the upcoming provincial election. Tommy, good luck and uh, thanks so much for this. Thank you, sir. All right. When we come back, Tom Korski, we'll talk about uh, giving border agents the power to search your cell phone. Stay with us. Let's get back at it on Newstalk Saga 960 AM. It's the Richard Serrett Show. I tell you, the hits just keep on coming with this liberal government. Now we have Bill S-7. This is an act to amend the Customs Act. And it outlines grounds for searches of travelers' cell phones, tablets, and laptops by the Canada Border Services Agency. So imagine you come home uh, from overseas and a uh, border agent calls you over and demands your password and uh, wants to search through your cell phone and your laptop. That could be coming our way. Tom Korski, Managing Editor, Blacklocks Reporter, is here with more. Hey, Tom, how are you? I'm well, thank you, Rich. So um, that's that's kind of a, a brief summary of, of uh, Bill S seven, but this this uh, reasonable general concern of criminality, this is uh, this is what would allow a custom agent to to seize your cell phone. What does that even mean? A reasonable general <laughs> concern of criminality. That's an, that's an excellent question, and that's exactly the question that members of the Senate uh, National Security Committee asked. It could mean anything. And uh, this is, as you mentioned, uh, Richard, it would apply to anybody who's ever driven across a land crossing or went through customs at the airport who had a mobile device. You must surrender your password or, or they will confiscate your uh, uh, equipment under the Customs Act. And here they, under this bill, they have to prove a general, a reasonable general 
concern. And there were liberal appointed senators, Richard, are giving this bill a hard time in the Senate. That does not happen often. And they are saying there were senators who said that this could mean almost anything. There was one liberal appointee, David Richards from New Brunswick, who said this is the sort of nonsense that went on in fascist Spain under Franco. I can search anything I want whenever I want. Public Safety Minister Mendicino tried to explain he did not get far. Richard, that bill is in trouble, and that's saying something, because the liberal Senate appointees are usually go-along, get-along guys. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. This would be, if they were to vote this down, I think that would be... Would that be the first time the Senate has actually uh, not rubber stamped a piece of uh, legislation? I, I can't remember. It'd be, a time. It'd, it'd, 26 years ago, <laughs> that was the last time it happened. It would be incredible. Where did this bill come from? Under the old Customs Act, uh, it, customs officers, border agents could do random searches. And two years ago, there was an Alberta Court of Appeal ruling and the judges said, forget it, forget random searches. And this was the response. By the way, it's interesting for anyone who's gone through customs. What do agents look for? This came out in some of the court affidavits, but also testimony in the Senate committee. If you are overly friendly or not friendly at all, if you avoid eye contact or make too much eye contact, if you have too much luggage or suspiciously not enough luggage, in other words, whatever really they feel like, it's pretty subjective. Right. Uh, and one of the concerns raised by uh, one of the senators was um, Canada Borders Customs agents have been accused of racial profiling and the concern that this could lead to more of that. This is Senator Mabina Jaffer. She's a corporate lawyer. She's from B.C., a, a liberal appointee, again, who said, I have been profiled because of who I am. She's a, a native of Uganda. She's been in Canada for years, practiced law. She says, I have been profiled. Members of my family have been profiled. You just gave the green light to profiling. All an agent has to say is, I have a reasonable general concern about this black person. I think I'm pulling you over for secondary inspection. Let's see the password. And I want to start going through your banking records. I just have a feeling that's where that bill is. Uh, Richard, if the Senate rejected this bill, as, as you mentioned, that would be like atomic. That literally hasn't happened in a generation. But this bill is in big, big trouble either way because they can just bury it in committee if they want to. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Here's my concern very quickly, and that is we've seen the RCMP politicized. We've seen the Ottawa Police Services, Calgary, maybe Montreal Police Services politicized. We've seen our charter banks politicized. What you know? What is stopping the you know the border custom agent services from being politicized and targeting dissenters, political opponents? 
You just took the words right out of another Liberal Senate appointee, Paula Simon, Senator from Alberta. She said exactly that, Richard, in a commentary she self-published. This has political witch hunt written all over it. I don't like your lapel button. I don't like the slogan on your ball cap. Here goes. All right. Well, let's uh, let's hope the uh, the senators rise up, grow us a collective spine and um, vote this one down. And as you say, it'll be uh, hopefully lost for eternity in committee. Tom Korski, managing editor, Blacklocks reporter, support independent media, blacklocks.ca, blacklocks.ca. Thanks, Tom. Thank you, Richard. All right. They're coming for your guns. That story is next. You're listening to The Richard Serrett Show on Newstalk Saga, 960 AM. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. In other words, we're capping the market for handguns. All right, there you heard it. Trudeau proposing a new law that would freeze private ownership of all short-barreled firearms, handguns. Now he's saying, we're not banning the ownership of handguns outright, but we're making it illegal to buy them or transfer them or import them. In other words, he's grandfathering a ban on handguns. Tracy Wilson is Vice President of Public Relations and Club Outreach for Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. Tracy, welcome back. How are you? I'm good, Richard. Thanks for having me on today. Um, my, my feeling is, and I, I, uh, I know others have said this, I'm not the first, but th- this is simply a cynical ploy. He's piggybacking off this avoidable atrocity in, uh, in Texas at the Robb Elementary School uh, to, to push th- this through. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, he absolutely is. I mean, legislation um, this broad and complex didn't get written up the day after the Texas tragedy, which means this government had it in waiting. They had it crafted and waited for an opportunity. And as soon as this horrible, horrific tragedy in Texas happened, they dropped it on the heads of legal gun owners, you know, using, you're right, piggybacking off of that tragedy so that Canadians in general would support it. So, I mean, I know that the liberals are very cynical and scheming and it's all about virtue signaling and so forth. But I'm trying to understand uh, how grandfathering a, a ban. And I think I'm correct in, 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 in that, that. OK, mm-hmm. so, you, you know, you can still continue to take your gun to a, a, a gun range and you can fire it and safely store it. But eventually that gun is going to break down and then you won't be able to purchase a new one. So he's grandfathering a ban on handguns. But how in the world is that going to have uh, any impact on, on gun crime where most like over 80 percent of the guns that are used in the commission of a crime are smuggled in from the United States? Well, you answered your own question. Of course, it won't. And that's the problem. Um, You know, when he talks about closing the market on handguns, he leaves out a really important word there, and that is legal handguns. So, you know, if we were talking about legislation that focused on combating smuggling, smuggled guns, crime guns, illicit guns, I think the entire country would get behind that and support it. I mean, he had a real opportunity to be the hero here. And instead, of course, he's used a policy that does nothing but wedge and divide Canadians against each other. And, um, you know, and at the end of the day, 
the real the real losers here are everyday Canadians who are looking for some leadership when it comes to reducing crime um, and making our community safer. So uh, what is this going to mean? I mean, how long do you imagine before this is going to uh, basically amount to gun clubs shutting down? Uh, I mean, how long does, what's the average lifespan of a handgun, let's say? I mean, before you can no longer use it and you can't buy a new one. Yeah, well, regardless whether your gun breaks down or not, we are one generation away from being a handgunless uh, country, right? There will be no more sports shooting. Um, there will be no more uh, Canada being represented on the world stage at the Olympics. I, I was on a CBC interview today and she said, well, Olympians are are exempt from this. And I said, yeah, but nobody's born an Olympic athlete. I mean, you get into the sport, you practice it, you master your craft and you go on to represent your country on the world stage. The majority of our uh, Olympic team right now, which are women, um, when when they're done, then what? There won't be anybody else. So I've been encouraging gun owners, you know, if you own multiple handguns and you've got kids over the age of 18 who have an RPAL, start transferring guns to them now. Go out and buy them a gun. Um, there's six-hour lineups outside the Calgary Shooting Centre today. Staff in Kingston at SFRC were up till four o'clock in the morning uh, filling out transfers. Um, if, if the idea here was to stop the sale of handguns, it's done exactly the complete opposite. How long before they come for the long guns? <clears throat> well, they came two years ago and, and of course, banned. Uh, we're up to almost, I think it's over 2000 models and variants, which equals to about half a million rifles across the country. Um, of course, these guns are so dangerous that uh, we're not allowed to own them anymore, but we are forced to keep them for three and a half years. So, you know, again, it's just a, a silly measure by this government. We are fighting that gun ban in um, in the federal courts. Some of these magazine restrictions in C-21, we'll have to wait and see what the regulation looks like. But by the wording of it, where they're talking about limiting every long gun to five rounds, there's a whole bunch of hunting rifles, most 22s, a whole bunch of lever actions that have tubular magazines that simply can't be limited to five. So, um, you know, I, I don't really know what, what direction he's planning to go on, uh, on this stuff. I know C21 uh, in the technical briefing this morning with public safety, they said they're hoping to have everything done by the fall on these measures. So you've got an entire summer of people out shopping like crazy. And I put a question to the officials with public safety and asked, would they be stopping the importation of legal handguns into the country to be distributed to retailers between now and that implementation of the bill? And they said, no, they can't. So I don't know. I mean, it just it just seems like we're in an upside down world besides wanting to, to keep my my guns, because, of course, I've done nothing to warrant this kind of action against me. I'm a mom and a grandma, and I cannot believe that Canadians are going to sit back content, assuming this is going to do something to keep their kids safe, because it's absolutely not. Uh, yeah, I wish I, I shared your incredulity. I, unfortunately, I think they will sit back and uh, allow this to happen. Uh, unfortunately, Tracy, uh, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Richard. Have a great day. Tracy Wilson, Vice President, Public Relations and Club Outreach for Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. All right. History as inoculation. That's coming up next with our homeschool advisor. Stay with us. 
back to the conversation on the Richard Serrett Show. News Talk, Saga, 960 AM. The Homeschool Advisor on the Richard Serrett Show. Welcome back. Rick Gaskowski is the founder of HumanitasFamily.net, and today we're going to talk about history as inoculation. Hey, Ruth, welcome back. Thanks, Richard, and thanks for that nice intro music. I like the new touch. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed I thought I did that just for you. It's such a terrific segment. It is deserving of a, a brand new uh, produced liner all of its own. So um, when I was homeschooling my boys for four years— I, uh, I, we did a lot of history. I, I've always loved history. I think history is so important. Why is it that uh, so many homeschoolers, and I, I found out in talking with other homeschoolers, same with them, they really placed a strong emphasis on teaching history. Why does history take such a, a central role in homeschooling? Yeah, I think apart from math and language studies, uh, history has always taken a central role in our schooling. And as you said, most homeschoolers will say that. They will cut out other things, uh, but not history. And when I asked my 10-year-old this morning whether he thinks students should study history, he plainly said, well, of course, you need to know where you came from and how you came to be where you are today. So just as our own identity depends on our own personal history, which guides us into the future, learning history is really essential because it's our societal memory. So it's fundamental to know who we've been as a society and kind of as a planet, who we are now and how we can use this to guide us into the future. So way at the beginning of history, even Cicero, this is in 46 BC, said, to be ignorant of what occurred before you were born is to remain always a child. So he made the statement at the very beginning of history, and already he recognized the importance of it. So um, how does the approach of teaching history, let's say in homeschool, often differ from what the, the public school system offers? Yeah. I'll give you a good contrast here. So in classical homeschooling, history is taught chronologically. So the logical way to tell a story is to begin at the beginning and to go on till you come to the end. Even the king in Alice in Wonderland knew as much as that. So any history makes less sense when we learn it in bits and pieces. So in homeschooling, our history study is divided into four broad time periods. So we actually start at the very beginning of civilization with the ancients and then move on to medieval, renaissance, modern, up until we arrive at today. And then we repeat the whole cycle again, and we actually start teaching history in grade one from the very beginning, and then we keep going until you finish high school so that by the end of it, you've actually gone through the rotation of the entire history cycle around three times. And this study includes kind of character study of great men and women, uh, teaching of morals and ethics, geography, and so on. Now, in contrast, in the public school curriculum, which I took a very close look at, from grade one to grade six, everything is uh, under kind of the title of social studies. And it appears to make the common assumption that children cannot comprehend or are not interested in people and events that are distant from their experiences. So it has a very self-focused pattern, which starts with the child and then the story of their family and then their community, and then it moves outward from there. 
But as it relates kind of all of history to the self, it really measures culture and customs and other people according to the student's own experience. So it kind of leads students to have the impression that they are sort of the center of the universe and anything that doesn't relate to them isn't really necessary. And I think most surprisingly to me is I was looking at, okay, do students learn any world history anywhere uh, from the elementary years or high school? And to my surprise, or not surprise, at no point in the Ontario curriculum are students required to learn world history. The only required history is Canadian history, and that ranges just from 1713 to 1914. And the rest of it is focused on communities in Canada, First Nation stories, healthy relationships, environmental responsibility, but no mention of any other major world things that have to be studied. And I think so it kind of comes as no surprise when communist ideas like you'll own nothing and be happy might sound cool mm. to students who have no idea of what communism has done. Excellent point. That's what you mean by history as inoculation. Um, so are there some resources you can recommend uh, to uh, non-homeschooling parents who want their children to uh, to learn, to actually learn history, world history? Yeah, I think uh, the first point I want to make is that I would encourage all parents to teach their children history because uh, it is not being taught in schools. I did a small review of parents again in the neighborhood yesterday and just said, you know what your kids are learning in history in school? And not a single one of them could tell me that there's anything of history apart from Indigenous stories that they were learning. Now, Indigenous stories are important, but they are not the whole of history. So take responsibility for your child's history education. And I would start with a series called The Story of the World by Susan Wise Bauer. And it's four books that tell the entire story of the world in engaging chronological stories. And we've been reading these for years, usually kind of during snack time in the mornings, and they're divided into easy chapters. And if you don't have time to read them yourself, they exist as an audiobook version as well. They are very engaging, and they truly summarize all the details of all the major world events, um, also through uh, characters' lives. Like we're at Marco Polo right now in the Kublai Khan, which has been very engaging, and um, otherwise, any history text that is chronological, okay? So it needs to start from the beginning and go to the end. Um, children need this kind of history in order to have a basic form of inoculation, as I said, against um, the ahistoric ideas that they might encounter at school. And I think it also provides them just a, a rootedness uh, in their place in the world. Uh, again, that series is A History of the World, Susan Weisbauer. Yeah, it's called The Story of the World by Susan Weisbauer. I will have links up for this on my website. And uh, libraries, I believe, carry them as well. Humanitasfamily.net, H-U-M-A-N, like human, I-T-A-S, humanitasfamily.net. Ruth, great tips as always. Thank you so much. Thanks, Richard. Talk to you next week. Ruth Gaskowski. All right, plenty of shows still to come. Hour two, Dr. Vermela Green will be here. We'll talk about... Uh, how gun laws aren't preventing school shootings, but will arming teachers. I'm all for that. And uh, also the great Mark Petroni will be here, host of the Mark Petroni Show. We'll, uh, oh, so much to discuss with Mark. And a uh, last order of business, John O'Connor, U.S. attorney, author of Postgate, will uh, will be here 
The uh, Michael Sussman trial has wrapped up, and surprise, surprise, the Clinton campaign lawyer has been found not guilty of lying to the FBI. We'll, uh, we'll talk about that. All right, stay with us. More show to come. The views expressed in the following program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of Saga 960 AM or its management. Seeking truth and justice in a battleground of deception and corruption, this is The Richard Serrett Show. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell... I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated. Our task is not only to win the battle, but to win the war. Repeating, we're not in Kansas anymore. Take a look at this country through her eyes if you really want to see something. You'll see the whole parade of what man's carved out for himself after centuries of fighting. Hey, welcome to Hour 2, and if you missed Hour 1, you missed a whole bunch, but uh, do not despair, still plenty of great show to come. Coming up towards the tail end of the program, U.S. Attorney John O'Connor will be here. John was also Mark Felt's lawyer, Mark Felt, a.k.a. Deep Throat from Watergate and uh, the author of Postgate, as well as a terrific podcast called The Mysteries of Watergate. And we'll be talking about the uh, Michael Sussman trial, which uh, wrapped up today. He was acquitted. Not a big surprise, considering, I mean, where do you go in uh, Washington, D.C. and get a a fair trial? I mean, if you're the, the prosecution, if you're John Durham. I mean, 99.9% of people in Washington are registered Democrats. So, uh, and of course, Sussman was Hillary Clinton's campaign lawyer. And... um, Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. John Durham, special counsel John Durham, has been investigating, spent the last three years looking for wrongdoing in the Trump-Russia probe, and uh, he alleged that Sussman lied 
I don't think there's much question about it. He lied during a 2016 meeting in which he passed a tip to the FBI about Donald Trump and Russia. And he claimed he wasn't, you know, representing anyone. Meanwhile, he was the uh, campaign, the Clinton campaign lawyer. Think about this. Um, the, uh, so who, who is the, uh, oh, Martha Stewart, Martha Stewart. That was the name I was looking for. She lied once to the FBI. One time. Straight to the, to the uh, who's cow. Straight to jail for her. How many times did Hillary Clinton lie to the, the FBI? 39 times. And now Sussman, no jail time. So John O'Connor will be here to talk about that. And our good friend Mark Petroni will be here as well. There's a whole grab bag of, uh, well, it's been a red letter day or a couple of days for the tyrannical liberal government. Uh, they introduced a bill to ban handguns in Canada. Well, that's essentially what it will do. It's grandfathered. It'll happen within a generation. They voted down a conservative motion to end the travel mandate uh, yesterday and announced they'll be limiting the debate on the Internet censorship bill. Uh, what else? Oh, they introduced a bill, Bill S-7, that will give Canada Customs agents the uh, power to uh, search your cell phone if they have some reasonable general concern of criminality. So Mark Petroni will uh, sound off on all of those things. But first, we're going to uh, go back and uh, revisit this horrible, I'm not going to call it a senseless tragedy. It was an avoidable atrocity. And I'm talking about the uh, the shooting rampage that cost 19 innocent treasures in um, Ovalde, Texas, at Robb Elementary School and two teachers. It was an avoid. It was an avoidable atrocity, and so now the question is: Is it time to start arming teachers in schools? I mean, I'm all for it. We have to turn schools into a hard target. Here to uh, discuss is Dr. Vermel D. Green. She's been a school teacher and administrator for more than 45 years. She's the author of Please Teach Me Like I'm a Boy, 10 Steps to His Success in School and in Life. She's also executive of the Boys Initiative. Dr. Green, welcome back. How are you? Hi, Richard. Thank you for having me back. Your thoughts, uh, 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 arming teachers in schools. Is it time? Uh, I don't think so. And I tell you why. Um, many times people who will get a gun, you know, they may time get a gun that perhaps, you know, Uncle Uncle Harry left for me and they don't go through the process of getting trained uh, to the point where not just trained how to shoot a gun, but when and where. Um, I would like instead to see resource officers who have been trained, who know what it is and know how what to do with a gun and know when to act and when not to act. I would like to see more resource officers in the schools. Um, I think they began to come under fire with that whole BLM defund the police. They wanted to defund resource officers as well. But it's the resource officers that that I really think add to a school environment. The resource officer at the school where I was once assigned, he was part of the school community. Kids talked to him. He became a mentor to some of the kids. And they trusted him and he knew that school, he knew that building. And again, he was more trained than anyone else could have been under those circumstances. Okay, so yeah, that's that's a reasonable alternative instead of arming the teachers. If you have, um, would that include, for example, Dr. Green, let's say, let's say a retired police officer, 
uh, or even perhaps a, uh, a veteran, someone who is highly trained in the operation of a weapon? Well, in that case, they would have been trained. Something else, though, that we have to keep in mind, those school resource officers, even more so than the the police officer that you just mentioned, you know, retired police officer or veteran, they are trained differently when they're using their weapon. And they get, get back into that battle mode that requires them to act a certain way, more so than the school resource officer who's used to dealing with children. And just their whole approach is going to be different. So, you know, it's a hard, it's a hard uh, decision, I tell you, Richard. Uh, but I definitely think that having our school resource officers there, having our teachers trained on what to do, and, and many times te- um, teachers are trained. You know, it boggles my mind how schools in the inner city or urban schools, they go through these drills a lot. You don't, I haven't heard of any mass shooting in an urban school. That's because those folks have it locked down tightly. I used to substitute teacher at a uh, substitute teach at an urban school. I couldn't get in. You know, they had the ring doorbell and you had to ring and then you had to show your ID and it, it, all the doors were locked. You couldn't go in. You couldn't go. Um, couldn't go. You could go out, of course, for emergencies. But tighter security. These shootings are happening at schools that have unfortunately slipped into some complacency. You know, nothing happens here. You know, we're a sleepy little town, Uvalde. No one ever heard of us, you know, unless you live in the San Antonio area. But those are the places where many a times things like this happen. Right. So, um, you know, regardless, I think we're in agreement whether it's, you know, teachers being uh, armed. I mean, I think I think teachers uh, can be, um, you know, properly trained, whether they, you know, if that's something they choose to take on. But you're, you're saying, no, let's let's try resource uh, officers, train them, or they're already trained, bring them into the schools. But the point is here, having these schools as soft targets, um, that's the problem. Uh, people that have evil intent love a soft target. They're going to go where the guns aren't. And, uh, you know, like even posting a sign, you know, warning somebody, listen, if you're coming in here with ill intent, we have we have personnel on our school property that will use lethal force to protect children and our and our staff. I think that's important as well. Uh, When you were teaching, uh, did you have armed resource officers in the school? We did um, at the high school level, not so much at the elementary and middle school, but at the high school level, we did. Um, And we had one who patrolled that whole big high school. You know, he had um, uh, uh, other people who were, you know, assisted him, but he was the only one who was really armed. This was years ago. Were there any (laughs) incidents ever? Uh, No, we did have students who would bring guns into the school. uh, And the resource officer, because, again, he had the kind of rapport with the students that he did. Students would kind of slip him a note you know, say, hey, you know, why don't you check so-and-so's locker? You know, and, and that kind of thing, students really had to step up on. Kids knew what this, 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 this boy's uh, history was on social media. And this is similar to a case that happened in uh, Minnesota some months ago, where kids knew because they, they, 
<clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> they sent out social media saying, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to do. I have these guns. And the kids who saw that, you know, they should have said something. And that gets back to the whole environment of the school, training not just your teachers, but training your students, T- telling them and, and making them realize that if something like this happens, you're putting your own life at forfeit, your favorite teacher, the administrator, and all the other students as well. Exactly. Uh, Dr. Green, we'll take a quick time out. Uh, let's talk about, you know, the other uh, way to address the root problem here with, you know, these psychopathic boys grow into uh, adults uh, that, um, I mean, you don't see um, many of these shooters coming from stable homes. So let's talk about how we address that. Dr. Vermel Green, again, school teacher, administrator for more than 45 years and the author of Please Teach Me Like I'm a Boy, 10 Steps to His Success in School and in Life. Back with more of our conversation right after these. Welcome back to the Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960 AM. It's so easy to pass gun control legislation. It's virtue signaling. The hard work comes in addressing the root problems. It's so much easier to... to... um, not break a child than it is to fix a broken man. And uh, we're going to get into that right now with Dr. Vermel Green, author of Please Teach Me Like I'm a Boy, 10 Steps to His Success in School and in Life. Uh, I'm sure there are some, um, I mean, there are no guarantees in life. Even in a stable family life, sometimes something goes wrong. And But by and large, I think you would be hard-pressed to find a case of a, uh, a mass shooter that came from a stable, loving home. Where am I wrong, Dr. Green? I agree with you, Richard. Um, the profile, it's, it's so, uh, so duplicated with these different cases. Um, fatherless home, uh, loner, uh, uh, underachiever, um, not really being popular at school, what we have to realize, too, with our boys, and as you said, most of these um, shooters have been male. The male um, hormone, testosterone, that's responsible for aggressiveness, um, impulsivity, um, and uh, tending to make decisions before you think. While testosterone is great in that respect, when testosterone combined with an individual who has not been grounded in some kind of moral foundation, they have a a terrible, terrible potential to do damage. And that's what happens so many times. These young boys are not grown up or not brought up in a faith or, or any kind of character training, as you said, some of them not in uh, stable homes or loving homes where uh, they have a tradition of faith or even a tradition of, of common decency and morality. And turned loose, these little fellas can definitely do some damage. But nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to address that. Why? Well, you know, um, people will say, well, you know, the church is this and religion is that. Well, 
for people who are going through the motions, that's true. It really doesn't do a lot of difference. But for those people who have an abiding faith and relationship, in my case, as a Christian, we talk about having relationships with Jesus Christ or, you know, any kind of moral foundation or moral sense, compassionate sense that comes with that kind of belief and knowing that, hey, one day <laughs> you're going to have to stand before someone who is greater than you and give an account. And that needs to be drilled into all of our children, especially, especially our young men. So in the 1960s, they took the they took prayer out of school. And some people say, well, big deal. But you look at you look at rates of teen pregnancy, drug abuse, suicide, everything started to take off. I mean, that's not a coincidence at that point. But further to that. Uh, Dr. Green. Now we're teaching children. Not only are we teaching them about, you know, well, you know, the cosmos, it's all one big accident. You're an accident. Um, and, and ultimately then the, by extension, life really is, is meaningless. Uh, then we teach them that, um, you know, th- because of climate change, we're all doomed. You know, we're just exposing children to such trauma it's child abuse. Then we sit them in front of a screen for 16 hours a day, unintended um, and uh, unsupervised. Uh, they have no modeling in the home for what a loving, committed relationship is all about. Why do we expect a different result? Especially when we almost celebrate a culture of death. You know, the, these children see, you know, people marching in the streets in, the, in America, holding up signs that in a sense <laughs> say, I want to be able to kill my child. I want to be able to kill my baby. You know, I, never mind that the child has been born and is breathing air. No, I want to be, able, and that culture of death, that lack of respect for human life, no, this, 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 this passionate uh, uh, cries of people demanding, you know, these kinds of, of, of so-called rights, I'm using air quotes, you know, and children see that. They're not stupid. You know, they can hear and they can see and they know what that it, what that is. And so that makes them devalue themselves. You know, you know, I, I'm a child. I guess I'm just I'm lucky that my mother didn't didn't abort me. But uh, this is all going to come back to haunt us. You know, when we continually, you know, um, publicize and and uh, promote, like I said, this culture of death and for our some of our boys who are less stable, who who are looking for excitement, you know, that that dopamine high or whatever. Oh, my goodness. It's it's a recipe for disaster. But, you know, still, Richard, I'm hopeful. (laughs) I am hopeful. I'm optimistic. Um, I don't think God is finished with America um, or Canada. <laughs> and I think uh, I think there is hope. I think there is hope. But it's going to take the part of everyone, especially, especially the church. Just like the church was at the forefront of the civil rights movement, the abolitionist movement, the church has been abdicating its role in society and abdicating a push to change things in our society. Dr. Vermel Green, and uh, the uh, the book, again, is Please Teach Me Like I'm a Boy, 10 Steps to His Success in School and in Life, and also uh, executive with the Boys Initiative, boysinitiative.org, boysinitiative.org.
www.ghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandghostsandgh
in order that he could introduce this bill. You know that they, they had uh, they had this puppy just sitting there, you know, uh, and so they pounced as soon as this horrific, uh, nightmarish uh, attack on uh, it took place in, ta- in Texas. I think it's absolutely outrageous. I think it's unnecessary, uh, and will do absolutely zero to stop crime on the streets of Mississauga, Brampton, anywhere else. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African-Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African-Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African-Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy. Within your listening audience, I mean, it's like these guys are really targeting us. I mean, I, I'm not a firearms owner, but they're, they're targeting legal firearms ownership, despite the fact that Trudeau said that he was not doing that. The problem being is that they're also making it easier. They're easing mandatory uh, sentences for people who are engaged in what? In gun crime. So on one hand, they go, they, they produce a bill that they know the criminals are not going to adhere to because they're criminals. They're going to still get guns. They're still going to be involved in gun crime, whether it's gang related or whatever. And on the other hand, they're saying, well, you know what? We, we need to get rid of these mandatory sentences because the current census, tough as they are, are racist. And uh, there are too many indigenous people behind bars too many uh, uh, racialized Canadians, as Justin Trudeau would refer to them, uh, behind bars serving, you know, uh, sentences. So he's he's it's a double whammy with these guys. On one hand, they're doing steps that punish legal firearms ownership in Canada, people who have committed no crime. And on the other hand, they're saying to the crooks, well, go ahead. You know, we're going to take away these uh, mandatory sentences right. for people involved in gun crime. Because it's all about- makes sense. It's all well. It's not supposed to, right? It's all about virtue signaling. That's the way the left operates. They don't have critical thinking skills. They are. They are. They have no mental capacity. They're all about about power, getting into power, staying in power. And in order to do that, it becomes all about doing what feels right, uh, what sounds right. They don't care about outcomes. It's the easy. It's the low hanging fruit, right? They like to make. They like to do virtue signaling, um, and and they know that their their adherents, their disciples, uh, also have no critical thinking skills, and so they'll they'll say, "Wow, they're they're really getting tough. This is great." And yes, uh, our, our prison system is systemically racist, so we have to um, uh, we have to lessen the, the the punishment in the name of equity. Uh, so for them. This is this is just the the uh, the blueprint. This is how they get into power, and this is how they stay in power in a, in a uh, a country of um, left leaning 
uh, low information voters. We'll take a quick time out, Mark, come back and uh, discuss further. Mark Petroni, host of the Mark Petroni Show, weekdays, 1 to 3 p.m. right here on News Talk Saga 960. Back with more in a minute. Just having a little chin wag on The Richard Serrett Show. News Talk Saga 960 a.m. Hey, welcome back. In a few minutes, we'll hook up with John O'Connor, Deep Throat's lawyer and host of the Mysteries of Watergate podcast. We'll talk about Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman. Uh, he was found not guilty today of lying to the FBI. And this is a blow to the uh, Durham investigation, but to be expected, again, you know, trying to hold a, uh, a trial um, in uh, in Washington, D.C., where 99.9% of the people there are res- uh, are uh, registered Democrats. And uh, the jury was stacked with uh, with Clinton supporters, so this is to be expected. All right, right now, Mark Petroni stays with us, host of the Mark Petroni Show, heard weekdays on Saga from 1 to 3 p.m. Um, let's uh, let's switch gears and talk about uh, yesterday's vote. This was a conservative motion to uh, end the uh, the travel uh, mandate, which has effectively turned 6 million Canadians into prisoners in their own uh, country. You were smart. You got over the fence before they... Uh, they invoked that, uh, Mark, but um, noticeably absent in the vote was conservative leadership hopeful Pierre Polyev. Now, he's claiming that he was up in Thunder Bay campaigning. Well, he was. He's not claiming. He was, but he claimed that he was having some technical problems registering his vote. Do you buy that? I do. I mean, I know there's going to be some people, including some snarky liberals coming on and say, hey, why weren't you at the vote? Well, the reason he wasn't at the vote is because he's busy trying to become the leader of a party that hopefully is going to defeat you on the next election. But, uh, you know, it, it sounded at first like the dog ate my homework type of excuse. And apparently he did manage to vote for other. Uh, yes. Bills, but I don't see why he wouldn't have voted for this one. I mean, he's been pretty consistent all along. He, he does not favor uh, the kind of forced vaccinations. Um, that, uh, that that shooter liberals have, have pushed through. They say it's not, but let's face it. I mean, if you're going to start firing people, if you're restricting their movement, if you're punishing people the way this prime minister is doing, those who either are unvaxxed or who don't want to re- reveal. And by the way, that's significant number two. There are people who say, look, my vaccination status is nobody's business but myself, my own, uh, maybe my family, my doctor, and that's it. It's not for the state. To, uh, to demand that type of information. But I, I do believe him. I, I don't see why uh, he would have not voted for that bill, Lansman's bill. Now, obviously, he was defeated. He was going to be defeated, defeated whether his vote was, was counted or not. And by the way, I think he said that eventually his vote was counted. I think, did he not say he, was, he went to the Speaker's office to make sure that... Uh, he said he was going to he was going to raise a point a point of order with the speaker to make sure that the vote is corrected. So we'll see. But uh, yeah, no, I, I uh, I'm ho- I'm I'm hoping that that's the case. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. We, we'll see. Uh, but you, what you say makes a lot of sense. Why would he not vote for it? All right, let's talk a little bit about Bill S seven. This is uh, um, here we go again with uh, I call him mendacious Marco Mendicino. Every time he opens his mouth, how do you know he's lying? Well, he's moving his lips. But uh, now he, he he's all in favor of this bill that would uh, empower border customs agents to be able to search your uh, your cell phone, your tablet, your laptop based on something vague called a general reasonable suspicion of criminality. Uh, I mean – Talk about uh, a loophole you could drive a, uh, an 18-wheeler through. That's so vague. 
Um, anyway, your, your thoughts on, on this proposed piece of legislation? Well, it's, it's nice to see some liberal appointed uh, senators coming out and saying that this uh, bill is a fascist measure that would promote racial profiling. I mean, uh, it's, it's draconian in the extreme, but it's part of a, of a trend, right? It's part of a pattern designed to make life more difficult for people to travel. I think that these people are so obsessed, so ideologically locked into this idea that any kind of movement at all is bad for the planet, that uh, anything that they can do to keep you from moving seems to be in their wheelhouse, doesn't it? I mean, I would explain why they raised the carbon tax uh, during a time when inflation was spiking anyway and, uh, and Canadians were suffering due to the post-pandemic economic situation. And so here we have, and of course, we've seen the way he, we, he treated uh, the vaccinated, the unvaccinated rather. So again, we have like millions of people now basically having their charter rights denied because of travel. And now we have this. So it's like everything that they can do to put a, st- a stick in the spokes of Canadians who just want to be able to go where they want to go, uh, they'll do it. And so this is an attack on privacy again. Uh, but you know, Richard, there's a, these people obviously have no respect for your privacy or mine or anybody's. I mean, if they don't even respect you enough to say you're, it's your bodily autonomy and you have every right to decide what goes into your body, if they don't respect that, then they're not going to respect what's on your cell phone, are they? They're not going to respect. No, precisely. Your, well, my, your, 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 I mean, yeah, go ahead. My, my concern is that this is uh, we've seen all of these different institutions politicized. We've seen the RCMP. We've seen different police services across the country pol- politicized. We've seen the, the, the charter banks politicized. So I'm my concern is that, yes, racial profiling is a concern, but but my concern is that the border agents will be using this to sniff out political dissent. Um, so, Mark, you know, you're you're very vocal on the radio. I'm very vocal on the radio. Um, you know, one day when we're allowed to travel again and, and leave the country, uh, we come back and um, they will be emboldened to, to make sure that, you know, we're not. Uh, combined with Bill C-11 to censor the Internet. They just want to – this is part of stifling political dissent in this country. Yeah, absolutely. They're going to weed out the undesirables. I don't think they care that a guy like me uh, isn't in the country. I mean, we're, we're malcontents, uh, Richard. You know that. And uh, we're not wanted all, along that journey. What they want is good, compliant people who are going to shut up, do what they're told. Um, and uh, as they strip away more and more of our freedoms. And it's interesting to see some of the bought-off media coming out, uh, people at CTV, for instance, and other places, railing on against the idea that somehow our freedoms are being attacked and uh, destroyed. Uh, Clearly, this is a sore point for them as they defend uh, their hero, Justin Trudeau. So I think all Canadians should be going in that direction. Whatever the bought-off media tells you not to do, that's what you should do. And so if the if, if Trudeau doesn't like being called a dictator, if he doesn't like all these signs telling him where to go, if he doesn't like these protests, we'll give him you know, double down, triple down, give him more of the same because otherwise they're just going to continue rolling. They're going to do it anyway, but you, you might as well protest and do everything you can to stop it. Mark Petrone, host of the Mark Petrone Show, weekdays 1 to 3 p.m. here on News Talk Saga 960. Mark, thanks so much. Continue to enjoy sunny Florida.
Thank you so much for having me on the show. Really appreciate that. Great to hear your voice. Come on my show real soon, okay? All right. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for that invite, my friend. Anytime. <laughs> You've got it. All right. <laughs> You've got it. Thank when you, we, Richard. My pleasure. My pleasure, buddy. All right. When we come back, John O'Connor will talk about the uh, Michael Sussman trial. Stay with us. Let's rejoin the conversation on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk Saga 960 AM. I am shocked. I say shocked. Not really. Uh, I think this was to be expected. Hillary Clinton's campaign lawyer, Michael Sussman, acquitted today of lying to the FBI. And uh, this is part of, of course, uh, Special Counsel John Durham's three-year uh, investigation into the wrongdoing in the Trump-Russia probe. And uh, Michael Sussman, Hillary Clinton's campaign lawyer, again, uh, in and around uh, 2016, September 2016, met with FBI counsel James Baker, who was a friend of his. Sussman passed along this tip that uh, that led to this four-month FBI inquiry into a possible internet back channel between the Trump organization and the Kremlin linked Alpha Bank, of course, um, the FBI didn't find any improper cyber links. There was nothing uh, to see here. And uh, Sussman intentionally lied to Baker. He said he came only as a concerned citizen, not on behalf of any clients, namely the uh, the Clinton campaign. So not a big surprise. He was acquitted because uh, there's like maybe one registered Republican in the entire city of Washington, D.C., so you can see why they might have a problem on their uh, jury. John O'Connor is a U.S. attorney, author of Postgate, and the host of the Mysteries of Watergate podcast. John, welcome. Hey, Richard. Good to talk to you. You too. So uh, I'm, I'm guessing you, like me, were not at all surprised with this verdict? I did not fall off my chair, Richard. Um <laughs> Yeah. Well, first of all, you have a jury that's uh, most of them worked apparently in phone banks for Hillary and so forth. And remember, the entire town of Washington, D.C. is based upon government largesse. And that is usually furnished by the Democratic Party. So everybody either is directly on the receiving line of these goodies or is married to or the brother and sister of someone who is. So it's very difficult to find a good jury here. Now, we have a judge, and I don't know the inside story because by very definition, I wouldn't know what the judge reviewed in camera. But apparently Durham felt that the emails were very important for him to get a hold of and to produce. The judge wouldn't do it because he said, gee whiz, there's no conspiracy charged here. That's not the point. That's not the point. The communication, as we saw during the trial. The other people came in, Mark Elias, for example, and said, oh, we didn't know that he was going to the FBI. And, oh, that would have been terrible for us to because we wanted to publicize it. And going to the FBI would have hurt us in publicizing it. Well, of course, just the opposite is true. What they really wanted was to publicize it with the FBI imprimatur on it. Um, now, did any of those emails show a conspiracy of knowing that he was going to the FBI. I don't know, and I'm not so sure what Durham knows on it, and he's not going to blab if he does. So that's one question. But also the defense, Richard, fits neatly into the defense of all these other people. Let's say that in the next case, Durham can prove that the stories that went to the FBI were false, whether it's the Steele dossier or the Alpha Bank server thing, or this Yoda phone 
uh, deal. The question is, for everyone else other than the messenger to the FBI, did they know that the story was going to the FBI? If so, then they are conspiring to tell a false story to a government agency. If they're just telling a false story to Richard Surrett, that's okay. That's just a lie, but it's not prosecutable. So the problem with this case was, is that the false defense fit in of Sussman fit into the false defense of everyone else in the campaign. So they, therefore they could say, even though Sussman billed his time to the campaign and to this fellow um, uh, Rodney Jaffe, gee whiz, he was really out on his own. And if he billed it, well, that's his problem. Now, interestingly, all this Alpha Bank stuff had been billed by Elias and his partner Sussman. So that's clearly something that was in their work. Now, <laughs> Sussman goes to the FBI with that same story that they've been billing for and bills that. And, and that is a part of it. Well, common sense would say it is. And common sense would say he was lying to get the FBI to look at it. But, you know, you do now to be fair to the jury, you have to prove these things beyond a reasonable doubt. And I looked at this thing as one that we're in a civil case more probable than not. Yes. If you had an honest jury, even if you had a, if even if you had an unbiased jury, they might acquit him. That's what I'm saying. Well, you got Martha Stewart. She lied one time to the FBI. She goes straight to jail. Hillary Clinton has lied something like 39 times to the FBI. Nothing. I mean, above and beyond everything else, again, just reinforcing to the American uh, public, particularly if you're a Republican or conservative, there's there's one law for the left, for the Dems, and one law for everyone else. Uh, how damaging is this? We just uh, have a, about a minute and a half here. How damaging is this to Durham's ongoing investigation? I don't think it's damaging at all because this was always the outlying case because he had to charge it early. It was a five-year statute of limitation, a single uh, the defendant, as opposed to a conspiracy six-year defendant where that statute doesn't begin to run until the last act of the conspiracy. So this was a weak case to begin with. It was a one-off. He had to he had to do it when he did. So I think the real big challenge is going to be whether he can prove the bigger conspiracies. He's got, let's say, he's got five or six FBI guys. We know that because they did submit things to the court. That's got him in there. Now, whether these other people can escape by saying, oh, we didn't know this was going to the government, whether it's the Steele dossier or the other one. Now, I think it's going to be harder for them to say that they didn't know that the Steele dossier was going to the government. Uh, we'll see what privilege, claimedly privileged, they made very, very broad claims of privilege that I think are absurd because they weren't even communications with the lawyer. So we'll see what happens and what rulings we get on these privileged communications, which may sink a lot of people in the Clinton administration. So it's too early. This is a first shot. It means it's a smaller case. But in the total scheme of things, it will in a year from now, it will look insignificant. All right. Well, Durham, Durham may want to consider a change of venues uh, to counter jury negation as well. That's uh, another possibility. John, well, Virginia, Virginia is his best bet. He's got Danchenko over Virginia. Maybe he can put the conspiracy in Virginia. There you go. All right. How do we listen to the mysteries of uh, po- Watergate podcast? 
just go on the uh, website, postgatebook.com, and look for my book that's coming out, Richard, The Mysteries of Watergate, What Really wow. Happened. It'll be fascinating. It'll be out here in a couple of weeks. Uh, and if you want to know what really happened in Watergate, we'll find out 50 years after the date <laughs> that it all happened, as we will find out about this conspiracy today. There will be a book written 10 years from now about how Sussman did what he did. But uh, truth uh, doesn't get its pass, uh, pants on until it lies uh, three quarters of the way around the world. So that's what we're dealing with here. All right. John O'Connor. Thank you so much, my friend. Hey, see ya. Take care, Richard. Bye bye. All right. That's it for me. My thanks to Jody, Jacob and Declan. I'll be back tomorrow to do it all over again. God willing, until Wednesday at four. Don't be late. I remain unbowed, unbent, unbroken. That's it. That's all. For more Richard Serrett Show, podcasts, blogs, and other stuff, go to saga960am.ca. Stop talking past each other and start talking with each other. We'll see you tomorrow afternoon at 4 on The Richard Serrett Show on News Talk, Saga 960am. Are you concerned about equality and fair treatment for African Americans? Do you believe in a future where our communities are safe from both crime and over-policing? President Biden's administration is making major decisions, and we need your voice to be heard. The proposed ban on menthol cigarettes is in its final stages of approval, and black and brown law enforcement executives have said it could have dire unintended consequences for African Americans. The clock is ticking. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414 and ask him to stop this proposed menthol rule. The ban on menthol could lead to an illicit market and increased crime in our communities. Call President Biden and demand that he halt the ban on menthol until there's a review of the investigative findings. Let's make sure that over-policing and racial profiling come to an end. Call President Biden at 202-456-1414. Tell him to stop targeting African Americans with a menthol ban. Time is running out. This message is paid for by Alliance for Fair and Equitable Policy.